0: Hello there. Today we're taking the first of a series of looks at the book of Leviticus. This is near the start of the Bible and it's a book that's been on my heart for a little while. I'm quite keen that we take the opportunity to look at this book not least because for many people it feels a bit impenetrable. Now the reality is that the Bible is not an easy book to read and there's good reasons for that. This is a book that illuminates the person of God, that tells us about his character and all about the ways he interacts and has interacted with countless people, the countless little bits of humanity, all the way down through history. So it's perhaps not surprising that reading the Bible is sometimes difficult. But Leviticus has a particular place in our understanding. It feels opaque in some ways or Or a long way away or far from where we are. So we're going to take some time in looking at it. I'm going to be working through some uh, preparation that I've done here uh, and I'm talking to a uh, camera camera that's built into my laptop so there are going to be moments when I'm looking down at some of my notes and I hope you bear with me uh, over the next few minutes as we explore uh, some of what Leviticus might mean to us. I'm going to begin by reading but not from Leviticus and I want to explain why that is in a few moments. So I'm going to read from Psalm 23. Okay here we go. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now for me this text is really key in understanding what we're looking at when we look at Leviticus and just to sort of help us with unpacking some of that a little bit more. I've flipped over a couple of pages I'm going to read a few verses from Psalm 27 as well. I'm just going to start with verse 4. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me at his tabernacle. I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Now we'll come back to those in a moment and why it is that I think they're so important as we look at Leviticus. Before we go any further, what I do want to do uh, is pray and then talk about what I expect us to do in this session let's pray now father god you are gracious and you are good and you are just and you are powerful and almighty would you help us not to diminish any of the things that you are as we seek to understand you would you bless us by your holy spirit as we want to grapple with this book would you keep our hearts open and our minds alive and would you inspire our imaginations so that we may connect with whatever it is that you're wanting to show us today. Amen. Now this is our first look at Leviticus and we're not going to be hurried into looking at chapters and verses in detail today. I think that's, I think it's called exegesis, the detailed look at the Bible is really crucial thing to do. But I also think that it's important that we do our homework, particularly if we're looking at a new book, and maybe particularly if we're looking at a book that we wouldn't necessarily feel at ease with straight away. Leviticus, like the rest of the Pentateuch and the whole Bible, doesn't yield its treasures to a quick glance. We need to dig for them, and so we're going to do that by doing our good preparation. I use the word Pentateuch there. I'm going to quickly explain what I mean by that. The Pentateuch is the first five books of the Bible. So that's Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. And they come as a set. They belong together. They've been recognised as having a a kind of an entity all of their own. They They are a unit. And that's important, not least, because we need to understand what it is that God is trying to do, what the people who wrote these books down were trying to do when they wrote them. What was the story they were trying to tell? What was the information they were trying to get across? As we think about that, it's important that we have an understanding of how stories work, how they are told. So, for example, The Lord of the Rings Saga, written by J.R. Tolkien, is a big story. And it comes in three books. And in lots of ways, the three books tell separate stories and within those stories there are climaxes of there of their own so there's a whole structure going on for how that story is told in the Narnia uh, stories the chronicles of Narnia that CS Lewis wrote you've got seven stories with different protagonists told at different points in the history of Narnia and they come together to give an overarching narrative of that country where it came from how it began how it was cared for, how it was protected and how it suffered and how in the end it came to be uh, at its best, fulfilled and and made new and made good. The last battle, uh, the final book in that saga is particularly treasured, by me at least. I think also of the master and commander sequence of books, there are 20 of those that follow uh the exploits and adventures of um, a naval captain uh, in the late uh, 18th and early 19th centuries a british naval officer and you get get away from books you've got soap operas which roll on and on uh, and there are little peaks and troughs in those stories you've got uh, television and radio stories that happen in chunks so there's a a series of six or ten or or twenty which have little climaxes in the middle and quite often a cliffhanger at the end to help you bridge the gap to the next part. Some stories on television might have mid-episode cliffhangers so that you come back after the adverts have been on. And then you've got newspaper stories, so stories of real-time events that are happening and you get to see them unfold because people are finding out about them as they go. And then you've got old-style serial Stories in magazines, like when Charles Dickens was writing his novels, most of them were first written as stories with chapters in parts that people would read once a week or once a month. There are lots of different ways of telling stories, and and if we only think that the Bible works like one of those, like maybe a Lord of the Rings uh, saga, we we think the Bible works only in one way, then we are likely to miss something, because the stories in the Bible, the the explanations of the Bible, the, um, the encounters of the Bible, the, the illumination that the Bible gives us is delivered through a, an enormous number of characters doing different things at different times, and God responding to them according to their circumstances and his promises in different ways. So as we read the Bible, we need to understand the way the story is being told in that place at that time. Leviticus, then, is not like, let's say, the Book of Acts, which is very much a narrative uh, track of events uh, of the early church. The Pentateuch and Leviticus with its place within it, those first five books, and Leviticus being the third one, they have a particular way that they need to be read. The reality is that how we read the Bible needs to change as we change we we might some of us have learned to read it as as children or we might learn to read it as new believers and we need our way of reading to grow up as we grow up don't let anybody kid you the bible is not supposed to be easy to read be really cautious of those who say well i have a bible and i can interpret it as well as anyone can the reality is that god by his spirit and in his grace may indeed choose to reveal uh, things to anyone And and that he will allow different things to come home to different people according to their circumstances but it's not an easy book and it's not supposed to be an easy book to grapple with understanding the Bible um, means understanding how it's written and it means treating the journey of reading it like uh, like a trek like a like a a long walk um, through varying landscapes and when we do that, it's important that we uh, pack our bag well, um, that, that we use guidebooks and maps to help us go through it, that we go equipped, and that we go expecting to need help as we travel. That's, those are all healthy ways to read the Bible. So understanding the Bible does mean understanding how it's written, and, and that means understanding something about how ancient literature works. Structure really matters in storytelling we talked already about how sometimes in in our television storytelling or our radio storytelling you'll get the little cliffhangers you'll get little markers along the way that say this is a point which helps you jump over to the next bit in the case of leviticus which is the third book in that pentateuch with those first five books of the bible in the case of leviticus there is a really important chiastic structure at work now chiastic might not be a word that you know that's okay i'll explain it a chiastic structure is to do with um, the order in which things happen and how it sort of mirrors itself so you'll get a point made point let's call it point one and then you get a second made point two and maybe even a third point three and then you'll get at point four the kind of heart of the thing and then maybe you'll have something next that does the same job as point three and kind of echoes it and then point two is echoed and point one is echoed so you have this kind of uh, uh sort of yeah one two three two one kind of thing going on there's a lot of chiastic structure in the bible not everything in the bible works that way but plenty of it does and it's because when the hebrews and later on uh sometimes the greeks too were writing the way in which you structured what you wrote was part of how you conveyed its meaning the chiastic structure is important For us, as we look at Leviticus, Leviticus is the shortest book of those first five. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, here we are, Numbers and Deuteronomy. And that third book, Leviticus, is the shortest. It's the only one as well without any chronological markers or geographical travel. Now, I was reading as I was preparing for this that that you go all the way through Genesis and into Exodus and you get everything marked out in years. And then when you get into uh, Numbers in Deuteronomy, again, as you come out the other end, you've got a lot of things marked off in years. And in between the, the later part of Exodus and the early part of Numbers is marked off in months. And they did this uh, as a way of uh, marking how the people of Israel made their way out of Egypt through the wilderness. And then after they'd been to, at, to Mount Sinai, where God gave the law to Moses. After that, there's a series of of travelling in months, too. And then you go back to years. So you've got something like that chiastic structure again, but not so much in the points being made as in the way the journey is described. In the middle of it, you have Leviticus, and there are no chronological markers. Nothing that says this many months after that. And nothing that says they went to this place and did this. The other thing Leviticus has that we're much more familiar with is instructions, rules, if you like. But actually, those who've done uh, some scholarship looking at what Leviticus is like, says that it's less imperative than you might think. That word imperative means sort of giving you instructions, telling you to do this, do this, do this. It's less than you might think. In fact, and bear with me on this one, per 10,000 words of the book, there is less imperative in Leviticus. there is in the Psalms, the Psalms being the the prayer and songbook of the people of Israel. In fact, there are 10 times as many imperatives per 10,000 words in Psalms than there are in Leviticus. The tone of Leviticus, those who've done the scholarship tell us, commentators write, the tone is much less like you must not steal and much more like of course you're not going to steal. And this is important for lots of reasons but not least because it reminds us that all translation bible and anywhere else all translation is interpretation those who do the translation work are interpreting it as they go and they can't help it it's not it's not a failure of good translation it's just that you bring your opinion as a as a as a person when you are translating something that somebody else has written so you must not steal is fine as a way of translating it but it's not perhaps as faithful as the idea of of course you won't. There's there's an expression of assumption in it rather than a directive. Now one of the main themes of Leviticus is its holiness, the holiness of God and the holiness of his people that is asked for or expected. And I wanted to just sort of slightly um travel down a little side road with this for a, a few moments and talk about um holiness and how it's perceived i think for a lot of us uh, particularly from my point of view growing up uh, and probably for many of us as well who've encountered the church either from being within it or being outside it holiness really in the end came across as as um, moralism moral instruction and i i I really want to suggest uh, as we go through this book, and we'll look at this more as we, as we travel through Leviticus, that holiness is more than moralism. Now, I don't want to be misunderstood here. I'm not playing down the importance of moral teaching or of moral living. And I do absolutely believe that holiness includes an understanding of what good moral conduct is. Those, those two are not separate things. But I want to see if we can get away from the idea that holiness is only moralism, because I don't think that's right. And I think we need to listen to what Jesus brings. Because when he talks to the Pharisees, who are, after all, the people who really only the ones that get his criticism in the gospel stories, they're the ones who get a hard time from him. He's very critical of their legalism, of their having combined um moralism and holiness so tightly that actually there is nothing about being holy that isn't covered by moral behaviour. The legalism of their teaching was not Jesus's way. See, if all we do is try harder or obey the rules better, then we are doing what the Pharisees were telling the people to do. But actually, Jesus offers something else. Jesus promises a light burden in Matthew's Gospel. He promises fulfilment and joy he also tells us that being his apprentices is going to bring hardship but that's not an either or thing it's not that if we're being disciples then we should expect no joy at all and no fulfillment neither should we expect it to be all fulfillment and joy and no hardship it should be expected to be both so there is a light burden there's not a moralistic um uh, it's not a moralistic weight to carry we're not dragging the big boulder of moralistic um obligation behind us as we are being apprentices to Jesus our Master. Jesus criticised legalism. It's not behavioural form filling. For all that moral, moral behaviour is important and should be observed and understood, that isn't the whole of the thing. Holiness is about dwelling in God's presence and what it looks like to be dwelling in God's presence and how he makes it possible for us to be holy. There's a lot more I could say about this. So I just caught the microphone there. Uh, there's a lot more you could say about this, and I would encourage those who would like to know more about Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees and the, the problems that he had with the way they went about things. really encourage you to get hold, if you can, of a, of a book by a guy called Gary Tyra called Defeating Pharisaism. It's really expensive in paperback, but if you can get an e-copy, it's really quite reasonable. It's pretty accessible, very good scholarship, and well worth a read. But to go back to Jesus and Pharisees, put more plainly, law keeping does not put us in God's presence. And Leviticus doesn't suggest that it will. The thing that puts us in God's presence is that God has opened a way for us to be there. If you like, you could say um, that um, buying trainers doesn't get you to the end of a marathon. It's, 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 the, it's the running that gets you there there is a process there is a journey that's involved it's not simply a question as if you wear the right uh, shoes anymore it's a question if you obey, obey the right rules you will get to be with God there are flaws in that uh, analogy but I'm hoping you can see what I'm getting at ticking boxes is not the Jesus way and actually Jesus criticised the Pharisees for expecting eternal life to work like that even to criticising them about their attitude to scripture. He said, and this is in John 5, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life, says Jesus. Here's the reality. God provides an approach to himself. He makes that path possible. He has laid out a route by which we can approach him and be with him. Back to Leviticus. It's in the middle. It's in the middle of those five books. And in the middle of Leviticus itself, there is a particular chapter in the centre. And, and this, this centre of a centre is the middle of a, a bigger story. So it's the middle of the journey from Egypt to the Promised Land. It's the middle of the literature of the Pentateuch. It's the middle of Israel's journey from promised to fulfilled future, if you like, as they go from Abraham's... Uh, the promise Abraham received from God that he, his children, his people, would live in the land; and they'd be numerous. And then, at the end of Deuteronomy, beginning of Joshua, we actually get the arrival in that land. At the centre of Leviticus Stone, and so at the centre of the Pentateuch, the centre of this story, this giving of the law, is God's means of reconciliation. That's that's the peak. It's been described as as um, because this is chiastic structure. It's been described as uh, sort of A big part of it being about coming up the mountain, and the the next big part of it being about coming down the mountain, in the middle there's this summit, and the summit is God's way of bridging the gap. The gap between us and him that's come about because we haven't dependably lived his way. And that central bit is chapter 16 of Leviticus, and it's it's the one about the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement itself is a signal of God's heart his heart to restore his created intention and that intention is humanity and god in each other's company there's a lot more to his intention to do with how he expects creation to work and and humanity's engagement with creation and that has a lot to tell us about what justice means when it comes to our created world but the thing i'm focusing on here is god's intention that we should be renewed in our relationship with him we should be reconciled to the father Walking, as, as Genesis puts it, in the cool of the evening together. Centre of the centre of the Pentateuch. The centre of the centre of the law is Genesis. No, it's not. It's Leviticus 16. And I'm just going to read, oh, if I can grab my Bible back, uh, verses 15 and 16 of Leviticus 16, just to show us what happens in the centre of the centre. So he then... Uh, He shall then slaughter the goat, this is a reference uh, to Aaron who will be taking responsibility for the priestly behaviour on the Day of Atonement. He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it and in this way he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites whatever their sins have been. He is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. I'm just going to read verse 16 again. In this way he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. He is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. The centre of this uh, day of atonement which is itself is the centre of Leviticus, which itself is the centre of the Pentateuch story, is God's desire to reconcile him to us and the fact that he has made a way for that to be possible. And it's with this in mind that I will go back to Psalm 23. At the end of that psalm we have these words. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and you might remember I went to uh, Psalm 27 after that and we're at verse 4 one thing I ask of the Lord this is what I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple there is a desire in Israel's way of thinking and way of talking about God to dwell with him to be in his house to be where God is And in that day of atonement, in the center of that set of instructions in Leviticus, which itself is in the center of the story of the Pentateuch, we have this desire that God enacts to reconcile us to him so that we can be in his house forever. That is the heart of what Leviticus is telling us and that's why it's important that we understand all these things about structure and context and the way the story is written because if you don't understand all that then you might see leviticus as a list it's just it's just a sequence of instructions starting at chapter one and and chapter 16 just happens to be about halfway through but no chapter 16 is in the center because it is at the middle of the argument and Leviticus is in the middle because it's the middle of the story. This is all about how God is communicating what his desire is when it comes to humanity and his, his intention for them to be with him in his presence. Let's flesh that out a little bit more. Uh at either end of the pentateuch Uh, at the very beginning genesis we're looking at genesis 1 being a creation story and and genesis 3 gives us a sense of god's intention for humanity he intends to be with them as we just said walking with their uh, walking with humanity in the cool of the evening that's where he wants to be he wants to be alongside in fellowship with the humanity that he has created That's in. Genesis 3. And it's worth bearing in mind as well uh, that uh, that we do have in the beginning of um, uh, – later on in Genesis 3 – we have this sense of what happens when God's intention for humanity breaks down. And one of the things that's highlighted there is the relationship between men and women. And over years this has been used as a way of describing how God Uh, expects women to play a secondary role and I wanted to just quickly highlight while we're touching on Genesis 3 that what we actually see there is that the result of humanity being broken is the inequality between male and female that is not God's design it's his description of what happens when it's gone wrong anyway very briefly uh, we'll come back At the opposite end of the Pentateuch, we get uh, Israel on the threshold of the promised land in Deuteronomy 34. So back where God intends them to be, or or at least in a place where God's intended them to be. It's not Eden. But there is a sense that God's presence is in this promised land. And in between, we have Israel's journey with God. And that's lived through some of those patriarchal figures, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And as uh, Israel comes out, this this enormous community, this throng, this nation of people comes out of Egypt. They experience what it's like to have God present with them. So there's pillars of cloud and of fire. And and then there's a point where the tabernacle is built and they carry uh, an expression of God's presence as that tabernacle with them as they travel. God's presence is mediated through priests and through the prophet Moses. And, and even uh, beyond that a, a representation of how the relationship between humanity and God is supposed to work is also carried the, um, the tablets with the law on them covenant documents this Leviticus then is a book about God's presence it's a book that defines Israel's relationship with God he is with them and we can draw from that it's not just a them thing it's an us thing too. It defines God's relationship with us he longs to be with us he has Uh, given jesus and allow jesus to be horribly painfully torturously executed so that he can reconcile us that atonement is made possible through jesus and it's important that we recognize that there's a link there because the risk otherwise is that leviticus like much of the old testament can feel like a then thing rather than a now thing now i want to clarify a couple of things here one is we mustn't ever as as followers of jesus we mustn't ever attempt to read the old testament without looking at it through the lens of jesus we did that earlier as we talked about the importance of of not being um, drawn into a sort of a pharisee kind of legalistic way of looking at things so we shouldn't do that Um, and we we get that understanding by reading it through the lens of jesus so we mustn't ever do that but but the old testament remains a book for now i come across uh, commentators who i think rightly say that there are advantages to calling the old testament the first testament rather than the old one because the old has connotations with it of, it of it being something that's now out of date and that isn't helpful care must be taken in reading the old testament but it's not it's not a, a gone by thing it's a first testament we might we might also think of it more helpfully in terms of god being being um, God interacted with his people in the Old Testament through um, through prophets and priests. Uh, and in the Gospels, he is with his people. In fact, he is his people as Jesus inhabits humanity. And then beyond that, in Acts and Beyond, we, we are finding out how, how God is in his people through the Holy Spirit too. So this story of Israel's relationship with God is also our story, a story of God's desire to restore us to his home. That that idea again that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God has created a way, a route for us to be with Him. So, this is our story. If you like, the holiness of God that Leviticus is going to talk about and we'll spend some more time looking at later is a very good way of describing the fullness of life that Jesus says He comes to offer in John 10. I've come. Uh, that people that might have life in all its fullness. And that's said in a context of, of there being threats uh, of others who will distract God's people away from his voice. But Jesus did come to bring fullness. Uh, and to be holy, really, I think it, it does go beyond that sense of of legalistic moralism and, and is much more about saying, how can we be not just present with God, but like him? How can we have a fulfilled life that means that we are all that Uh, that in our humanity we can be and we get to be that by being in God's presence there's instructions in the old testament about how the lamps and lampstands should be arranged um, as they build the tabernacle and the idea is that they're put in particular places and and the room that they're in is panelled and there's gold on the panelling And the lampstands are arranged in a particular way so, so that as you stand in that place, the sense of warm light bathes you entirely. That is the way in which the presence of God is available to us, the warmth of his light. And those lamps were kept burning. God's presence would forever be symbolically in place, bathing his people in the warmth and light of his presence. There is more that we will say about uh, being holy and how god says be holy because i am holy and those things are really quite important for us Um, we need to ask how it can be that god makes it possible for us to approach him when he is so holy and we are so not when moses first encounters him in the burning bush um moses has to stay back because the holiness is so great that actually it would consume him and yet we are invited it's scandalous in many ways that god would in, in his purity invite us in our grubbiness to be with him it's it's almost criminal and yet he does it to approach an amazing pure a beautiful and formidable god that's made possible for us us, us shabby and broken people and that's that's something uh, criminal is the wrong word to use because because we wouldn't ever think of god as doing something criminal but it is scandalous and there is something about that language of of um, who done it that which is helpful here we're talking about motive and, and means and opportunity and and the motive for god wanting to make us available to himself for us being present with him that motive is entirely love that's why he wants us to be where he is not because we can add to him not because we make him better by being there, but simply because he can see that where he is is good and he wants us to be able to share that goodness with him. That's motive. There's means. We are wayward and we are rebellious and we consistently go against God's will and yet he sets out the possibility for us to be in his presence again. He, d- he does what's needed. We, we can't. He does it so that the light of his presence might flood over us again like it's described and there's opportunity a scandal that reconciliation is is made possible because God creates a roadmap for a reunion in Leviticus you might even say even in Leviticus as it's as it's a rule rule rule-laden book the central point is the reconciliation of God with his humanity that's his roadmap how how can I invite you in my people And then how can I help you to stay with me and walk with me? We're talking about the big story here that shapes this book of Leviticus. We've talked about those Psalms that talk about the desire to dwell in the house of the Lord. We talked about how Leviticus itself sets out um, God's intention for his people to be with him. Uh, We will see in due course how the first chunk of, of Leviticus is about how we approach and then we get this day of atonement, and after it, we get how we might remain in God's presence. It's a big story, and it's built around that central issue of a reconciliation. And it shows us, I think, three quick things before I move on and bring us to a close. One, reconciliation with God and dwelling in His presence are central themes of the regulations of Leviticus. There are plenty. Of regulations whether we see them as imperative or not there's lots there for us to unpack but it's about being reconciled to God and dwelling with him in his presence second thing is the invitation for humanity to dwell with God is the heartbeat of the whole of the Pentateuch the fact that this is in the center of Leviticus and Leviticus is in the center of the wider set of five books tells us that the writing of all those five books with its shortest one in the middle is about describing this invitation be reconciled to God. Let's add that God's heart, his motivating instinct when it comes to his interaction with humanity, his heart is for restoration and reconciliation. He's not demanding that we make ourselves reconcilable. He's not demanding that we go to a place where he might then accept us. He has already opened up the possibility for us to be there and then he invites us to walk that path. The Father wants us to be clean and He offers us a way to be. And we don't have to say yes, we can choose not to be. But that, and that's our call. We can't blame him if we choose not to walk that path. Similarly, if we choose to walk that path and then we allow ourselves to become dirty again, that's on us. He will keep cleaning us as long as we keep coming and asking to be cleaned. But we get to choose. God never takes our choices away from us. he does do though is say that if we even just a tiny bit interested in knowing how to dwell with him he can show us how we don't have to stay clean by ourselves we can't but he the father will show us how to be clean with him if we want to so leviticus i would argue is not a book about moralism it's not a legalist book it's an account of the father describing how people can dwell in the house of the lord forever it's a description of the approaches and attitudes that come with trusting god and saying yes to his invitation and in those ways it's really very very jesus-ish jesus says that whoever sees him has seen the father live like this he says all the way through particularly through matthew as a kind of a, a curriculum for discipleship live like this and you will please the father although i would note that jesus doesn't really talk about getting into heaven he's much more interested in talking about how our hearts and lives are transformed so that we might be the kind of people for whom heaven would be a joy so what are the implications for us today just going to try and land this in the next minute or so the longing to be in the house of the lord is the big story and reconciliation is the key signature of the father's song over humanity this is our story a story of god's desire for us and our response to it. He paints us into his canvas of creation. It is a wonderful place for us to find ourselves. And This means that we have the opportunity to know God. We can know his stature and his voice and his character and his determination the heart of the Pentateuch is seeking the presence of God and God offers us an invitation to seek him and I promise that we will find him so finally in this introduction to Leviticus we see an invitation to be like God and to be in his presence and what might we take away from this one I think the first thing I want to say is is prayer prayer is integral to the invitation as we seek God he makes himself findable which is a glory and a wonder in itself the grace of him in making himself findable so how daft are we when we don't go looking every prayer every prayer is a search for god every crying out honors the way in which he has made it so that we might actually be with him and every sabbath is an ascent to his holy place a a moment of seeking nothing but his goodness and his presence Second implication, repentance and faith are woven into being in God's presence. We honour his invitation when we accept it. When we choose to be cleaned and try to stay clean, we show respect for the Father who's made the invitation. We need to keep turning to him through Jesus and asking him to shape our lives today. So let's keep going back and going back and and recognising that we need to keep on turning towards him. And finally, community is integral to the presence of God. These instructions, this whole book of Leviticus and in fact the wider story of these five books of the Pentateuch are not about an individual, they are about a nation, the, the creation of one and, and God's commitment to them as, as a people. We are not solo disciples any more than Israelites uh, are a solo thing. They're, they are a people and the people of God are the body of Christ so commit to prayer you can't take leviticus seriously you can't take god's offer of reconciliation seriously unless you commit to prayer and you can't take him seriously without also repenting and choosing to turn back to him each time we need to which is often and thirdly commit to community this is the place where god is inviting you to be his way opened up for you to be in his presence is a way that includes sharing that presence with everyone else who's put their trust in him as we go forward let's keep in mind the heart of this story that god has made it possible for us to reach him let's pray gracious father we thank you for this promise this commitment that you've made to allow us access to you to to hear that prayer in the psalms that we may be in your house and say yes then please come we thank you that although we could do nothing to make that possible you did and way before jesus you were doing that reconciliation with you is possible may we approach you faithfully because you make it possible, because out of your love that's where you long for us to be. And may we learn from Jesus as we dwell with you. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.